Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Vent. This is Vent Weekly. A collaboration between Vice and Brent 2020, London Borough of Culture. Get cracking. Amelia. Santos. Vent Daily. Every day this week, we're making a show about what we wish we'd learned at school and what we think teachers should know about. Something that I never learned at school was how to navigate the world of work. And that's what we're talking about for our next two episodes. Part one, the freelance life. Today, we're joined by Vice's executive editor and friend of the podcast, Zing Seng, to talk about navigating work. Do you want to just introduce yourself? Hey, thanks so much for having me, you guys. So my name is Zing. I'm a journalist, an author, and I'm the executive editor of Vice UK. I've done a whole bunch of stuff like over my last decade and a bit of being in the workforce. So hopefully I've got some good tips and advice that I can give you guys. Amazing. Yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Santos and I are both creative people, and we're looking to continue working in media or music. Mm-hmm. And we're both having to get our heads around like working as freelancers. So Zing, how long did you freelance for before you got a salary job, and how did you find it? So I always freelanced alongside a salary job. It's something that I think a lot of people kind of struggle to juggle. Literally, that's mm. a very awkward turn of phrase. I definitely learned a lot of really hard and fast lessons from freelancing, especially freelancing as a creative person who's doing stuff like making podcasts, writing books, writing articles, hosting, you know, panels and doing talks. It all kind of engages different parts of your brain. But Mm. the first thing I would say as creative people, we all know, I don't know about you guys, but I am terrible with numbers and maths. Because when you're a creative person, you don't really think to yourself, oh, I'm going to have to start using a spreadsheet. Yeah. yeah. That is, I'm sorry to say exactly what you're going to have to start to learn. <laughs> the first thing that I didn't realize when I started working and initially I didn't have a salary job. I was on a kind of permalance contract. So I was self-employed technically, even though I went to work every day at the same company. I didn't learn anything at university about paying taxes, let alone self-employment taxes. Mm. I think kind of really naively and stupidly, I just assumed someone from the government would email me and tell me to do it. And then I learned to do it from Googling, you know, the answers. But no, if you don't file your taxes on time and do it correctly, you will get hit with a fine. That's the first bad lesson I learned while freelancing and graduating from uni. So really boring stuff like registering yourself as self-employed, putting aside a little bit of your income every month into another savings account, maybe to make sure that when you do get hit with a tax bill, you've got some money left over. You're not literally like getting it out of your rent or getting it out of your food bill and scrambling around to cover Mm. it. My tax bill was actually not even as much as the fine they eventually hit me with, at least the first one that I had to file. So I felt very, very foolish. Let me tell you that. 
it's always good to start making records of, you know, I've been hired to do this much work by this company. I filed the invoice on this day. I'm going to check up on the invoice in 30 days time on this time and, you know, have a kind of record of they've paid me or they've not paid me. Mm -hmm. Right. That's basically what I've got now. I've got like a spreadsheet of the work that I've done for other companies. And then when I file the invoice, I put a little reminder in my iCal on my phone to say like, check in on that invoice and see if it's been paid. Mm. Yeah, I feel like spreadsheets are like very, very useful to, you know, keep track of the work you have done and, you know, like the dates that you've done them. And like with my work, for example, I run my studio and I work with artists and musicians who either record or they need beats made or like vocals mixed and mastered and stuff. And a lot of my commissioned work, I usually take deposits at first. Mm -hmm. So with my spreadsheet, it's easy for me to, you know, keep track of, you know, who's paid deposits and who hasn't. And then I can always follow up with, you know, who I need to contact and stuff. And I didn't ever think I would need to do it. When I started doing it, I just felt like I need to stay on top of everything. And that's the right idea completely, because I think especially when you're creative, the last thing you want to do is spend your time adding up numbers or, you know, working out spreadsheets. But that's basically what you have to do to make sure that you're getting paid on time and that you're getting paid enough. Mm. And if you keep track of everyone who's paying you, you start to realize, you know, oh, this person actually doesn't pay that much compared to this other person or this company always pays late and maybe it's not worth my time if I freelance for them, if they're always going to be tardy when it comes to payment. Um, I just wanted to clarify like how long you actually freelancing for, or are you still freelancing and like working full time as well? So I'm working full time and freelancing on the side. I definitely don't do as much as I used to do. I've been doing stuff like writing articles for vogue.co.uk, doing like online talks and workshops. I think like, pretty much almost every week I've got a freelance gig on whether or not it's you know I also record episodes for um, the Women's Prize podcast that's great stuff like that so it's really varied and it's interesting as well like having feet in lots of different types of creative industries so they all Mm -hmm. have to do with the media but you know they are quite different types of media Mm. and you start to notice patterns like you know the podcast stuff that I've done the payment can be more prompt than some of the like journalistic stuff that I do. What's like the pitching process like? So obviously you've got to pitch yourself, especially if it's like freelancing and stuff like that. Like you've got to kind of shoot your shot when it comes to writing for people and stuff. Like what's that like for you or what's that been like? You first need to start having a bit of a reputation and like building up what we call in journalism as clips or bylines, you know, your portfolio of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then once you start building that portfolio, actually sometimes people can just start coming to you. Mm. And more often than not, that's what happens for me nowadays. But it's taken me about 10 years to get to that point where people will, people can do stuff like, you know, they'll see me tweeting about a TV show that I'm enjoying. And then they might approach me and say, you know, do you want to review it for us? That's it. Like, that's what happened. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and that's like the ideal situation to be in because you're mm-hmm. no longer putting, having to put yourself out there. But I think that when you first start out, it's definitely a bit of a hard slog mm-hmm. to like get responses from the people you're pitching to like get feedback. You're lucky if you really get feedback from anyone in the industry when you're starting out. Definitely. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you just need to sometimes be a bit persistent and not get, demotivated because mm. I think it's really easy to take rejection personally but right. 
I've also been on the other side of the coin where people are pitching me ideas. And sometimes my week is just so mad busy that I just will have hundreds of emails in my inbox still when I clock off on a Friday. And, you know, it's in my head where I'm like, oh, I need to respond to these people. I need to respond to these people. But then, you know, the nature of my job as executive editor is there's always something that's pressing that I need to get to to that day. Right. And sadly, sometimes like giving feedback or responding to like pitches and commission and, you know, people trying to like pitch me stories is sometimes falling down the list of priorities, right. which is sad. But sometimes I think it helps if you understand it from the other person's perspective and to be like, okay, it's not because this person doesn't like me or they hate my pitch or I'm a bad writer or whatever. Sometimes it's literally because people just haven't had time to get to your email or even open it. Do you feel like it's the same for you, Santos, like in the music industry? Is it just as hard to kind of put your foot through the door or do you feel like it is kind of equal, equally balanced? I feel like the more you get involved with, you know, like record labels and like established companies, you do have to do a lot more pitching, especially with like publishing companies and stuff like, you know, mm. if you're not necessarily a musician as such, but, you know, you're a songwriter or something like that, you will have to pitch your songs to publishing companies who will, you know, put you with other songwriters and get your songs to the artists with record labels and stuff. You know, if you're working with an artist, you know, you would pitch ideas for, let's say, music videos or ideas for marketing campaigns. It's not like, you know, the first idea that they come up with, they'll go with kind of thing. They obviously have to, you know, suss it out and make sure that they pick the right thing. One thing that I definitely agree with is like at first, like it's hard and it's easy to get disheartened and to think that I'm not the greatest at this right now. So why would people come to me? But it's just the case where you just have to believe in yourself and know that where you are today isn't where you're going to be tomorrow or in 10 years. I think a lot of people have this idea where, you know, if you're just mega talented and you're like genius level or just like supernaturally gifted, you know, you're just always going to come out on top. No. And actually, a lot of people don't realize that especially in the creative industries where a lot of it depends on relationships and whether you're able to like get along with people. It's like, you can be the, you can be the most amazing producer, but if working with you is a nightmare exactly. and makes artists leave the studio crying, nobody's <laughs> going to want to work with you. It's the same thing for, you know, journalism. If you're a crazy good writer, but you're always filing your articles late and you're mean to your editor and you're constantly subtweeting them on socials, nobody's going to want to work with you either. So I think a lot of people feel like, oh, I'm just not good enough. You know, I compare myself to all these other people who are publishing or putting out work. Mm -hmm. But actually, you don't know about all the behind the scenes stuff. They might have been a nightmare to work with and made the person never want to work with them again. But you just don't see that from the outside. Zing, do you have any like, top tips for us in terms of how to like make yourself stand out from the crowd? I feel like socials nowadays are so important. I know people who have told me that when they commission books, they'll look at a writer's social media profile and see how many followers they have. Mm. Like, it's a really sad kind of indictment because let's face it, like if you're good at social media, it doesn't necessarily mean you're actually good at the thing you're supposed mm -hmm. to be doing for your day job. Sometimes people are better at marketing themselves than actually putting in the work. But I think that if you can put yourself out there, especially on social media, and I think this kind of benefits people who aren't who maybe aren't based in London or where the creative industries are, because you can build a name and reputation for yourself 
online no matter where you live. You don't have to have access to those like industry events. You don't have to be hanging out at those like press events or whatever to get yourself known online. You can like build that up from nothing. Santos, obviously you're a freelancer within the music industry. I'm really interested to know like how that's been for you so far. I mean, my my journey has been very, very interesting. So I started off, you know, as an artist when I was about 12 years old and I realized how passionate I was about music and I just started to write songs to express the things that I was going through like at that time in life. And it literally just started at me performing in my living room like at my mom's <laughs> birthday party and seeing my Aww. auntie crying in the back of the room and I'm thinking like, like shit like my music can connect with people and yeah. can like like people can feel it so it's, it, it's always been that for me seven eight years down the line being an artist you know I've performed at loads of gigs I've been in multiple different studios with different producers and engineers just as an artist and obviously once I left secondary school I studied music performance and business at college and wow. I went on to study music performance at uni but university wasn't really for me. University is where I made the transition from just being the artist into becoming a producer and engineer as well. So when I was in college, I learned a lot about the business side of the music industry, you know, like the royalties and stuff. And I came to the conclusion where, you know, if I started to produce my own music, I would be entitled to a lot more of the royalties. If I started to engineer my own music and stuff, I wouldn't have to pay other engineers or whatnot. You know, it was just about becoming very self-sufficient. And the way the transition happened was just the more I made music and the more I started to release my music on, you know, these platforms like Spotify and Apple Music, other artists that would come across my stuff, they would ask me, where do you record? Who makes your beats? Who who engineers your stuff? And at that point now, I was starting to say, me. I did it all myself. And then mm. I started to, you know, use the facilities at my university to bring in other artists and record with them. And, you know, it's it's, it's it was really a give and take thing because me working by myself, making my own beats and engineering on myself helped me learn the skills that I needed to do that for other artists and then all of the time I spent working producing for other artists and engineering for other artists just allowed me to practice that skill so when I came back to produce and engineer for myself I've now become better at it over time just because I've been practicing it over and over again and I've been working with different artists in different environments on different types of sounds and one thing that I've learned is that I can't use the same process for every single artist yeah. because their voice is different. Of course, the principles are the same, but everything has to have a slight you know, change to suit them, to suit the song, to suit the genre. But yeah, it was quite difficult at first, you know, just adjusting and, you know, trying to give artists what they wanted and what they needed but I feel like because I spent a lot of time myself as an artist I kind of had the understanding of what an artist needs. Zing I just wanted to ask you obviously we're in a climate now that's completely affected like the lives of so many creatives like millions of creatives across the country particularly those who their main source of income is through freelancing so what's it like being a freelancer in this particular time? I'm lucky in that I still have my full-time job but I mean, when the coronavirus lockdown hit, like all the kind of opportunities I had to like 
do live events and like panels and you know talks and stuff like that that basically evaporated for a few months while people kind of struggled to find out whether or not you know there was an appetite for all this kind of stuff on zoom and like hangouts and all virtual events from what i've heard from other freelancers it's been really tough because in my industry at least in journalism there've been a ton of redundancies and a ton of layoffs which basically means that the freelance pool of talent is like getting bigger and bigger and the number of publications you can write for is getting smaller and smaller from what i've heard from people who are in the freelance world they've taken advantage of like the government grants there's a government grant you can get for like self-employed people mm. some people have managed to negotiate rent decreases with their landlords because landlords have been able to take a mortgage holiday from the government i think people are doing lots of creative small things to try and cut corners and like to try and claw back as much money as possible but yeah the industry is in a really tough time it's not easy right now to be freelance if you're young and you know you don't have like expenses like maybe you're staying with your parents or something it should be a good time to start like if nothing else like because so many people have been made redundant there's like a ton of pages and like content that needs to be filled and so the demand for people to write stuff and produce content is still there it's just that maybe the rates have been decreased maybe you're competing with a bigger pool of people but i think half of the journey is literally just perseverance and yeah. not getting discouraged i think mm. a lot of people kind <laughs> of yeah, yeah i think a lot of people jump in and they think i'm going to be a success no. straight away and actually that's never what happens and i think Mm-hmm. in that sense social media can be quite quite like an illusion in that the only thing you hear about are people's successes and there's an you know the perception is this person literally just started making content or writing songs or producing stuff yesterday and now they're like a hit and i'm never going to get to that point yeah. but what you don't see is like the years of graft that people have put in before that mm-hmm. so there's a lot of stuff that i wrote when i was starting out that you know it's not the kind of stuff that i probably would write about now like I did travel writing like for like basically list articles about like places you should visit if you go to this country and that country like stuff that is not very me and it's not really what I would want to write about now but it's the kind of stuff that kind of paid the bills for, at the time and it gave you the experience as well it's just you being consistent in what you're doing and it's like me for example I'm passionate about making trap music but sometimes I might have to make R&B or house and that's just extra experience and as you said sometimes it pays the bills and you have to do what you have to do again it goes back to not expecting to be like a crazy success from the get go right so i might do something like public speaking and then realize oh actually i like speaking in public and maybe i should think about hosting documentaries or hosting podcasts like that for me is how it all happened like all the podcasting and public speaking stuff came about because when i was at dazed and confused i got asked to host a live interview with um a fashion designer at a conference and it was a very like last minute thing it, mm. i wasn't like the preferred choice or whatever and i just enjoyed it so much and people were like you're really good at this you should do more of it and then i realized oh actually i'd quite like to do more public speaking and podcasting and hosting so even experiences where you're a bit like oh not sure if this is for me i'm a bit nervous or scared or it's not really what I can think of myself doing you can take stuff you've learned from those experiences and learn new things about yourself mm. so i think that's one really good thing about freelancing you're exposed to such a big variety of work and you never know what you're going to encounter that's going to actually benefit your career and make you learn new things about yourself so if you could give us one tip for like future freelancers what would that be 
Oh, the one tip I would do, I would give is do your taxes. Do your taxes and don't think you're too young to think about your pension. If not pensions, then savings. At least,、mm. you know, think of what you're going to do. Think of yourself when you're like 55 years old. Do you still want to be grafting in like you're 21 years old? Because no, for real. let me tell you,、Honestly. your body can't handle it. <laughs> This is the end of part one of a two part conversation. More tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Vent Weekly. I'm Santos, and I'm Emilia. And thanks a lot to Zing for coming on. This episode was produced by the Vent production team: Jess Lawson, Emilia Gill, Mawid Majid, and Ali Adlington. Vent is a collaboration between Vice and Brent London Borough of Culture 2020. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com/weightloss. That's PlushCare.com/weightloss. PlushCare.com/weightloss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and three hundred and sixty-five day returns.